Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. We're your hosts, Janine and Naomi, and we are back with Valerie Hammaker today, and we just wanted to continue our discussion. We just got into our discussion last time, and we just felt like there was more to be said. We're just going to pick up our conversation where we left off and dive a little bit deeper into some of the topics that we brought up and go into some other topics about how we develop in this process of healing and recovery. So thank you again, Valerie, for coming and for being with us and sharing your expertise and the hard work that you've done to come to these understandings and share with us and our audience. So thank you. You're welcome. It's great to be here again. Thanks for having me. If you haven't had a chance to go listen to Valerie's episode that we did with her last week, go back and listen to that because it will be helpful to understand what we're going to talk about today. We talked with her last week about um, taking ownership of our own development and what those areas of development are and what we might consider. We talked a little bit about some of the cultural messaging around those areas of development and some of the places that we get stuck. And today we're going to talk more specifically about a woman's psychological development. When you're working with women, kind of where do you start? Okay, that's a really good question. Yeah, that's a good question. So the first thing that I do when I work with a woman is I validate her suffering. I validate her pain. When a couple gets married, usually there's an implicit understanding that that sexual relationship is is between just the two of them and that it looks a certain way and it behaves a certain way. And so when a pornography struggle is uh, either disclosed or discovered, it's extraordinarily painful and it's usually very disorienting. And it is a, it's, it's fair to say it's, it's a trauma and it usually tips the, the world upside down of, of the woman who learns about this. And so My first job in every relationship that I work with is to help them feel both safe and seen. So when I work with her, the first thing I do is I dignify her pain as real, as valid, and as mattering. And it usually is extraordinarily disorienting to the extent that their functioning oftentimes falls quite a bit. Yeah, I'm sure many of our listeners are in that state of being right now where they're just merely trying to survive. Yes, Yes. And so that is, that's primarily what I do, not only in the beginning, but really throughout. And then the deeper work that I do with them is always scaffolded on that foundation. In other words, if I go in and try to sort of like help them become stronger, but they're just so devastated, they don't, they don't have the strength to do that, nor would I expect them to. And so the first thing I need to help them see is that their suffering makes sense, but I also and very, very quick to help them see that they are strong enough and stronger than they think they are. And that this is something that they can use to leverage the very, very best that is within them. And I'm always very open with them that I see relationships thrive 
after a struggle with, with sex addiction or with pornography. And I also see marriages that choose to end and that, that one or I, or the other of the partner recognizes that this is something that is not, is no longer viable. And so I, I offer to them from the gate that both options are, are open, I'm, I, that it's okay. And that there's no sort of, um, I don't prescribe to them that there needs to be a certain kind of outcome, no matter what, you know, uh, culture they have been raised in that may, may assume otherwise. And I don't make any assumption that there is a, you know, a presumption, but I always want to be very explicit that you can go if you're not safe in your marriage, you can go if this is so painful that you just don't know how to ever trust again. I don't encourage them to go quickly. I'd like them to sort of see this through and give the partner a chance to heal and grow because I think frequently they can and they do. But I also want them to feel from the very gate that they are agents unto themselves, which is really ultimately what I'm helping them with all along. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good to start out with because I think that's every woman in this situation needs that reassurance in the beginning to kind of give them validation so that they can have the strength to say, okay, I'm not crazy. And yes. now what's the next step kind of a thing. So yes. what is the next step? <laughs> so what I want to help her understand after that opening is I want her to kind of debunk the myths around this is not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. And frequently it isn't even actually as intricately connected to you as you think it is. Oftentimes it's a coping mechanism that the male partner uses and has adopted long before you even knew him. I try really hard to help reframe the problem around something that is a little bit easier for them to cope with rather than it being something about them not being quite enough as a sexual partner. If the problem played out in a different realm, like if the man disclosed that he was an alcoholic, she wouldn't take it so personally. It may still be painful. So I understand why she takes it personally, but I help her see that although they are auto-regulating in the sexual realm, it's not what they think it is. Right. And even at that, it can be a complex For sure. problem to kind of grapple with and wrap Absolutely. your head around. 100%. Yes. So I, I work with her on that and I spend as much time on those concepts as I need to. So I'm not saying I just whip through that. That's something that I spend as much time as I need to in helping her really uh, feel as if that is something that she can make sense of, or at least begin to believe. And then as I start working with her on her own personal recovery or her own personal spiritual development around this, I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about, I, tr I really move away from talking about him and I want this to be a personal growth journey for her. This is kind of tricky to talk about because it really is dependent upon the nature of the relationship and things like that. But I'm going to just kind of, I have a sort of client in my mind um, and I'm going to just kind of walk through what this would look like with somebody who is willing and able to sort of dig into their own struggles around the, the situation in their marriage. Okay. So in that case, I would be interested in understanding a little bit more about her sexual history. And I'd like to understand a little bit more about what she has learned what it's like to be a sexual person and what particularly she has learned about herself from the messaging of, you know, home, community, church, school, peer group, things like that. And I often find that that is to the extent that they are either ill-educated or undereducated. If they're undereducated or ill-educated, his addiction is that much more painful. Now, if, if the woman has 
good sexual sexual education and she feels entitled to her own sexuality and she feels as if she has permission to be a sexual being and that there's not a lot of angst around that. It's still painful, but it's it's not as painful as somebody who already is just terrified at all things sex or sexual. Mm-hmm. Right? So it does kind of matter where they are on the pendulum of their own sexual development and as far as and how that interacts with the recovery of the man. I think it certainly is interesting to look back at the messaging and to see how that either can enhance the pain mm-hmm. or maybe decrease the yeah. pain, mm-hmm. just depending on what your vision of sexuality is. Right. Depending on what premises you are already operating under, even before the disclosure of the discovery, that does have an impact on how the recovery is going to look. For example, I'm thinking of one of the women that I worked really closely with who's on one of my podcast episodes, she had a very firm sense of self sexually. She really did. She just believed in herself as a beautiful sexual and like a good mother, good, like she really like had it like together as far as I was concerned. And though it was wounding, she gave him the permission to heal and it really enhanced their capacity to heal the relationship because she was really the foundation that she was on was firmer. Now, that's not to say that other women can't heal. To me as a therapist, I really want to help them heal too. Because again, it's not all about fixing him. It's about healing both parties. He just has a different set of responsibilities over there mm-hmm. with, his, with his maladaptive auto-regulation problem is kind of how I see sex addiction. <laughs> like that kind of removes the shame from it. And for her, I want her to become... A sexual agent. I want her to see herself, her her sexuality being a good part of herself, something that is um, that she can take ownership of, that she can learn how what she enjoys. Now that sometimes comes down the road when she feels more trusting of him. But I want her to understand fundamentally. I want I want to understand myself, and I want to help her understand what she is like. What are her paradigms? And then the second thing, I move out of the sexual realm altogether, and I really work with her on her psychological growth which is interwoven with one's capacity to be sexual, right? The psychologically immature person struggles with really owning their sexual identity. And to the extent that we are spiritually and psychologically developing and developed, we have the capacity to hold sacred and take ownership in our sexuality. So I really want to understand how they experience themselves and their worthiness Do they just see themselves as caregivers? Do they know themselves independent of what it means to be a mother or a wife? Like, do they know themselves as women with interests and hobbies and passions and desires? And I want to really develop within them and encourage them to become individuals independent of the caregiving role. And this is something that I would say every woman needs some variation of work on. Yeah. Because we are so profoundly socialized to self-define as caregivers that we don't know ourselves well. I mean, this is my passion, you guys. I'm a burnout expert. In the realm of women and burnout, it has to do with compassion fatigue. Right. And so I want them to grow their souls in the service of helping them understand who they are, what they like, and what they want to do with themselves for its own sake. And that right there is a lot of discovery work. So I'm just thinking about this particular step in self-defining and 
you know, in terms of my own recovery, I think of this as, as my self-care yeah. work mm-hmm. and in trying new things and finding ways to feel fulfilled and mm-hmm. to fill my own bucket. I think often, you know, self-care is one of those pillars of recovery, I feel like, mm-hmm. but it's also this phrase, right? Self-care mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. can be so general and mm-hmm. like a cliche almost. Yeah. Boundaries and self-care are like some of those pillars, but they encompass so much more than what the words alone convey. Yes. And I think that like you're saying, they're kind of in some ways a little bit overused enough to where they've lost their meaning altogether. Right. Yeah. Women find it hard to be like, okay, so what does self-care look like? How do you know, what am I supposed to be doing when I'm doing self-care? Yes. And I think what you're speaking into Naomi is that it's about reconfiguring sometimes the entire system, meaning that the woman has to pause and ask herself some very hard questions. Why am I in this marriage? Why did I have these babies? Why am I doing what I'm doing, whether it be staying home or whether I'm working or whether whatever the thing is, who got to be the decision maker in all of these things? And how much and to what percentage am I the decision maker or to to what extent am I doing this in the service of something or someone else, whether it be an institution, a parent, an individual, the partner? Because most of the time, again, it's it just it, it goes down to that whole core of like how in many ways, I'm not going to say always, but a lot of times women are raised to sort of check the boxes and follow a pattern. And it doesn't work for all women. And they find themselves one day in this life and they don't even know what, what's going on. They're miserable. They're empty inside. They're doing all the right things and they're miserable. And so part of the healing of a woman, whether or not she's connected with a, a man who's in struggle in this way, is for her to start becoming an agent to herself. And many times the weird thing is if she really takes a step back and decides that what I want is committed full-time motherhood for this period of my life, and she chooses it, she'll find herself being joyful in it. But she'll also integrate other aspects of her selfhood around in the corners, right? And sometimes it's like, you know what? I love these children. And also, I'm supposed to go to law school. I felt that on my whole life, and I've given that up. And so I am going to go enroll in some classes right now. And we are going to be creative and we're going to be resourceful and we're going to love these children well in a way that works for our family. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? But it's, it's a very, it's more than a bubble bath, but it's going deep within oneself and becoming an advocate and trusting our inner divine and having the confidence in ourselves to make choices and decisions that bring out the best in who we are here in this world to become rather than a prescriptive, like a, a plan that somebody handed to us. Right. I love that. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this, but in a healthy relationship, that would be easier to do than a relationship that's very imbalanced to begin with. Yes. Even if a woman does have these desires to be more independent Mm -hmm. from the motherhood role or the wife role, and I'm not saying Mm -hmm. disconnect from it, but, you know, to grow psychologically and Mm -hmm. in different ways, 
that element of growth can be really difficult for her anyway, because of the imbalance in the relationship. Yes. I mean, she's going to have to likely take on a, even a greater burden that she already has. I mean, I'm just thinking about my own personal experience. Yes. We could never really agree on this caretaking yes. role. If I were to say, you know what, I'm going to go back to school right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm all hell would break loose in our family. Yes. It would be more chaotic. Yeah, it'd be worse. It would be worse. Yeah, I can speak to that. I mean, two things kind of come up for me. I'll I'll mention the one just in passing and we can come back to it or talk about it another time. But the first thing is that when someone's struggling in a sex sex addiction, steeped in it and really struggling, one of the neurological components of that is a lack of empathy. It's part of their pathology. Right. Okay, so that's one whole thing that we could spend more time on than we have. But the second piece that I want to talk about, so I'm sitting over here saying, I want you to go spread your beautiful little wings and figure out a way to self-actualize while you're also being a mom and have support. And you're looking at me going, that's impossible. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no reality yeah. that makes that possible in my life. Okay, so to that I would say, I, I jumped ahead of myself because- What needs to happen before that action item can take place? Say, for example, some a woman choosing to go back to school is what I is the example that I used. Right before that would even be a possibility, what we have to do is deconstruct the marriage and find out why in the world is it so imbalanced? Why do you feel so stifled as a woman? In what ways have you and your partner kind of colluded in this dynamic that keeps you underdeveloped? And what are the dynamics that sort of set the system up the way it is? And that's what I would, again, do in couples counseling, which is it's like, I don't actually ever, it's never about what it's about. It's not about her going to school. It's about these implicit contracts that we make with with one another in the marriage that make it mandatory that you stay home with the children and makes it even a thing that he's going to throw a fit Like, in other words, if you're doing that, you're breaking a rule that on some level, both of you have kind of colluded in making. And so I have to really help the partnership understand what is it that both of you think you signed up for that now Janine over here is having the audacity to, to, you know, not keep her part of the, she's like, because you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. And it's like, well, at some point in time, somebody and two somebody's probably agreed that this was a problem. Or this is what you were going to do. And you're now saying, I'm not going to. So then I start looking at gender roles. I start looking at family of origin. I start looking at what is the church taught you that is leading you to this dead end experience? And what is it, husband, that it, what would it mean for you? And what are your implicit belief systems around what it means to come home at four o'clock so she can get to her 530 class? Oh, I can't possibly do that. (laughs) I can't possibly come home at four o'clock. Yes. And so, so what I do is I break it down at like a cellular level to help them understand that there are all of these implicit things that are embedded in the way they function in the marriage that they have no awareness of. And then we begin to shift paradigms. And I tell you what, if a marriage really gets healed at this level, it's going to feel worse before it feels better because both parties have been really kind of just resenting quietly and hating a lot of things before it actually like the crap hits the fan. Yeah. But it's my job to manage all of this, bring it up and then offer to both parties how it's in both parties benefit and best interest to become the wholest versions of themselves, which means he needs to be different 
she needs to be different. Both parties need to sort of reconstruct what healthy relationship looks like. And down the road, when that is hopefully functioning well enough, and both parties have really wrestled with a lot of these implicit contracts and, and have decided that, yes, they are not working, they're not growing anybody, then we introduce the possibility of you going to school because we've already worked deeply with him on his struggles, concerns, insecurities, all of those things. But we can't throw that out at the beginning or it just, of course, it, it, would, it would explode. As you're probably seeing, this is, this is why this takes five years. Most of it <laughs> takes years. And even, yeah. you know, especially when we're in a marriage of many, many years where they've been really um, layering on a lot of complexity from each of their, you know, each of their respective, um, you know, what they bring, their crap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that I'm living in more light and truth, I understand why that dynamic was taking place. At the time, I just chose to find other ways to develop psychologically. You know, I took it upon myself to educate right. myself in yeah. many different areas. And so it doesn't matter what you do. It's just filling you up. Yeah. But I did find something that kind of fit into the system, the, the contract, so to speak, that we had made. Well, and I think that is an option, right? And I think that's a, it's a choice that partnerships have to make. Yeah. And sometimes it has to be a stepwise process where we ease into doing something that works for us, that lights us up while we're hoping that the partner comes along. As a therapist, I, it's not for me to say. My hope is that eventually both partners really, really can drink deeply into the possibility that everyone is happier when we let everyone grow to the fullest of their potential. That's a true, deep, rich relationship, but, but it doesn't happen overnight. Right. We come by our stuff honestly most of the time, and most of the time we don't even know that there's a problem. I mean, we know there's a problem, but certainly the problem is in us. <laughs> you know, it's and the solution doesn't involve us either. <laughs> oh, so true. Yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow. But once we get accountable and start recognizing that, yeah, I'm part of the problem and that that's okay. And the partner sees that and everybody really digs into their own beautiful growth journey, then an upward spiral can replace a downward spiral. Yeah. So maybe this is kind of a, a place where we kind of wind down. So we already talked about the contracts and we already talked a little bit about boundaries. And so um, the, the very last thing I would say, if, we're, if there's time, um, is just talking a little bit. I, just, I can just say a tiny little bit about this, this fifth thing that I, wor I work with the woman on. And this is later on in the healing journey, not something I would lead with. I sometimes work with the woman who may be struggling because growing is really, really hard. We tend to not like where we are, but the work of growing and becoming someone different is excruciating. And so sometimes when there's a very apparent flaw in our partner, an addiction is, is, a, is a good example of one. I don't think we ne necessarily do this consciously, but we sometimes use their problems or insecurities or struggles to justify our own not wanting to grow. Okay. So explain that a little bit more. So sometimes I, I notice that a woman will say, it's not my responsibility to grow this, that, or the other way because he's a sex addict. Right. He's hurt me so much that there's nothing I can do about this, that, and the other. And again, this is a later on in the process sort of thing because I want to validate her suffering, which is real, but I also don't want her to keep herself underdeveloped 
and use him as her excuse to not do the beautiful work that all of us have the stewardship to do in our lives. And sometimes it is hard. And I, I would say in the sexual realm, it's a very good example. Like for her to learn how to be a sexually developed woman is part of her stewardship when she was given this beautiful body that she has. It's part of her divine heritage. But to say, I don't choose to because I don't like him, <laughs> right? That's It's tricky because what I really will tend to lean on is has he become a trustworthy partner? Now, if he hasn't yet, then she has good reason to hold back. But if she's leaning into the, the, the what feels like a trustworthy psychological relationship and spiritual relationship with him, she sees his recovery, not his perfection, but she sees his growth. Then it does become time for her to lean into the prospect of his being a, a partner that's worth trying to be in a trustworthy relationship with, both sexually and psychologically. And so for her to just like wall up and just be like, I can't and I won't, I have to be gentle, but firm that like, well, there's only one way for you to grow in any of these ways. And it's to try it and to work hard on that. And we can't use the suffering, which is real, but we can't lean on that to not grow. We have to hold both. But I also would not be doing her any service to sort of continuously validate her suffering without saying, but guess what? Like if I were working with you, Janine, because I've been picking on you this whole time, right? Is if I were to say, Janine, I know it hurt. I know it hurt. And also, what are your deepest desires as far as your own growth as a sexual human? And then I would lean into what those things are that you want to become and say, Janine, you have those capacities already deep within you. How can we activate those things, embody those in your lives in a way that feels safe and maybe just baby stepwise? But what can we do to grow your soul and stop using the, the woundedness as an excuse to not do that scary thing? Does that make sense? So I've noticed in my own sexual relationship that there is a lack of emotional connection, which mm -hmm. I deeply desire. Mm -hmm. And I think innately women want that emotional connection to be able to have that sexual sure. um, connection. Mm -hmm. And I think it's intertwined and it's connected. And because that doesn't exist in our relationship, even though I love the mm -hmm. sexual aspect, yeah. it is missing. It is lacking. And it feels very fragmented. It feels very hollow. Mm -hmm. When that isn't present in, in a relationship, I have, I have problems with it. You know, yeah. I want that. Yes. Yeah. Now with betrayal, mm -hmm. you know, there's a new light on yeah. the situation. And now I'm understanding a lot of the dynamics behind sure. kind of our sexual relationship. Yes. How do you overcome that? Really? That's the question that I want to ask is how do you, how does a woman overcome that when that emotional peace may not be present in a relationship? How do you overcome that to even have a sexual experience with this person? So I want to, I want to start by, um, offering to you my, like my admiration for your courage in, in talking about that and being so open. And I'm sure this will, um, really be touching to a lot of the people that are listening that feel as you do. And I also want to say that what you're speaking into is not uncommon. And it's something that I hear in my own work frequently. What I would do and what I have done in situations of this nature is I would like to have both partners in the room. And I would like for you to say to him what you just said to, to me, to us. And I would like to understand 
what it is that happens as he hears you say that and what his lived experience is in the same moment that you're referring to. That would help me understand how to proceed. What I find is one of two things is going on, and I'm sure there's more than two, but I'll just speak into two, is that either he has a different way of expressing himself that you as a woman are not quite tracking, and maybe he is feeling deeply connected to you. Oh, he does. He says okay. he does. He says he he does feel connected. Okay, and I, that that doesn't surprise me because that's usually when I go in this on this route, I actually hear from the male partner that his experience is different than hers. So to that, I would say that probably what's going on is your your and again, I'm not saying this. Um, I understand why you feel this way is that you're still working through and metabolizing the trauma of the betrayal. And so you go into the situation that is sort of the scene of the crime, as it were, and there's a part of you that feels very distant because it's painful. There's at least an aspect of it that's painful, right? And so what I actually encourage couples to do in this kind of a situation is in the therapy setting, I want you to offer to him, well, there are two things that I would do, but I'll, and I'll say both of them. I, I'm interested in knowing what he might do to help you feel more emotionally connected. What is it that you're looking for? What would feel more present from him? Mm -hmm. And really dig into that. I'd really go slowly and try to learn that. And I would do that in the couple setting so that he can understand that. And I would see if there are things that he can do that might help you feel more seen in light of the fact that he is, um, his, the history is what brings up this pain that you're feeling and see if he can lean more deeply into that, which may not be necessarily native to his emotional connection with you in his sexual moment with you may not feel natural to him, mm -hmm. but it's, it's something that he can accommodate because he loves you. And he sees that this is something that you want and need and desire, but it may not be something he may come up with on his own. So I think that would be one aspect of it. And then another aspect of it is that I worked with a woman one time who we went through this whole thing and he would actually be very, he was willing and he worked really hard to do all the things and he would do them and it still wasn't enough. <laughs> and then he would do this thing and it still wasn't enough. And, and finally I had to say to the woman, I looked at her eyes and I loved her to death and we'd worked really long and hard together. And I said, do you believe you're in the arms of a trustworthy, good, loving man. And she said, yes, I do, but I just can't shake this. And I said, then I want you to slowly move into these moments and recognize that even though this feels scary, move into what you know deep down to be true, which is he is present with you. He's doing all the things you're asking and just step-by-step step, kind of walk him through even as you go along what you're feeling with him. Let him be very present with you and if you feel frightened or you feel distant, you can kind of like, it's not very sexy, right? Like, in other words, we wish it would just sort of all unfold and be this beautiful thing. That's not <laughs> what real relationship is, right? right? Is that I want them to be present even in her insecurity, even in her feeling distant and let him reassure her and then do some share of her reassuring herself. I'm in the hands of a good man. I trust that. I know that. It's scary. I'm in the moment not feel obligated or compelled to follow through, but let him be aware of what that is and give him the opportunity to be present with her and whatever her experience is and show through the emotional connection of his letting her be where she is. Let that in and of itself be evidence 
that he is trying to be present with her. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's very nuanced. Yeah. Part of it is it has to speak to his recovery, right? Like he has mm -hmm. to be in a place where he can hold that emotion. Yes. Take accountability for why she might be feeling it and, mm -hmm. and really speak to it to reestablish that safety when she's feeling unsafe. But if he can't do that, that's, that's a different story. Yes. And I would say that what ends up kind of happening is you kind of, if she really vulnerably is in the moment and says, I'm really struggling, I'm being triggered right now. And he can say, what can I do? How can I help you feel safe? Like if he can be very present, even if things aren't going, you know, as well as one would wish, right? He can use that embodied moment to show his presence. If he gets all offended and his feelings hurt and gets angry and stuff, well, we have quite a bit of data there, right? Right, right. You know, or if she becomes very angry and nasty and blaming to him, then I'm not going to necessarily say that I know where his recovery is because that's something that it makes it hard for him to show a recovered person's behavior when she sort of sort of lashes out at him. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think what we want to do is we want to sort of try moments that can potentially be successful inside of her comfort zone. I also really, as an aside, when a couple is working through sexual recovery, I want her to be in the driver's seat. I want her to have a lot of control around what she wants, what she likes, what she doesn't like based on sort of maybe um, the history of the abuse or whatever she's learned about. And I want her to sort of feel like she can kind of manage the situation, have it be collaborative, of course, but in any kind of trauma recovery, something is traumatic because we feel no control. And we feel isolated. And so in a trauma recovery setting, we want the person to feel controlled and that they're not alone. And so I always try to help the couple feel, the one who's been violated or that's been betrayed, to feel some variation of control and also to feel seen and known. And, and we really talk a lot about this sort of absent feeling because some of it is real and some of it is more imagined by the woman. Not imagined because it's real to her, but he really is there as much as he can be for his sort of style. Mm -hmm. And we have to just try to slowly find a place where they can connect. And it, this, again, Janine, isn't something, it's it's not a quick fix necessarily. No, it's very complicated. It's very complicated. It's not something that we can address really in a podcast episode. No, we can talk forever. <laughs> There's different levels of intimacy. You've got affectionate intimacy that if that's lacking, then it's not going to really produce an emotional intimacy, you know, exactly. and, and it's not going to produce this sexual intimacy that, yeah. that we desire. So it is really kind of a layered, very complex thing. Well, what you see in sex is really more just an extension of yes. what you see in the rest of the relationship. And so if there's a lot of distance and a lot of um, sort of uh, avoidance, you're going to see that yes. sexually too. Yes. And so the yes. more healthy they get in their recovery and we get in our own healing, the more present we're able to be in the sexual setting. Yeah. For sure. So I know we're kind of running short on time here, but I just wondered if we could address briefly um, women who are in a situation where they are in divorce mm -hmm. and they're still wanting to develop this part of them, mm -hmm. especially after it's, you know, after they've been through a situation where the man doesn't choose recovery, where she's grown in all these areas, except for the sexual, because he's not in a place to do that. How do you work with a woman who wants to grow in that area mm -hmm. and is in the process or moving towards divorce? 
Okay. So let me see if I'm understanding your question. You're saying that this is addressed to a woman who's choosing divorce, but also wanting to grow in her own sort of sexual development, or are we talking more like psychological or maybe both? I know that we do have a following of women who are divorced Mm -hmm. or who are in the process of divorcing. Sometimes this aspect, the sexual aspect hasn't like they've had the opportunity to grow in other areas, but the yeah. sexual aspect hasn't been safe to go into. And so in wanting to prepare to be a sexually whole person before that, yes, how could you work with them on that? I would be interested in just, I would actually do a lot of the the, the family of origin, sort of what their sex, their sexual history, their sexual education, what sort of implicit and explicit messagings they got. Um, and then I would really process with them the meanings they made around the betrayal in the marriage. I would like to help them understand as part of their own recovery and their own growth, what they didn't know about themselves that they learned through the relationship that is ending. Right. I would like them to understand a little bit more about their own blind spots, about cultural messaging that got in the way, about ways that they maybe colluded in the the relationship that created a dynamic that exacerbated some of the problems in the marriage. And by the way, they're never only sexual, right? It's just, that's one of the constellation of problems that come up in a relationship that is also, you know, it's always messy, right? But I would really, it's about self-discovery and self-actualization. I want them to become wise and I want them to use the relationship. This is very um, Eastern religion in nature, very Buddhist, but I want them to let this relationship be a gift, as painful as that may seem. But it's like, whoa, I have become enlightened yeah. about myself through yeah. this very painful relationship. This has been a mirror to me about all of these things that I did not know about myself that now I do know. My insecurities the things that I thought I knew that I don't, my preconceived notions, the, you know, the constructs and the patterns that I, that I took on from family and church and culture and education that, that did not serve me well. And I'm going to do it differently because I learned through this experience and this experience, even though it was extraordinarily painful, was sacred and because it has made me more whole. And then I will move into the next relationship, a more whole and a more awake and enlightened person, because this crucible has taught me great things about myself that nothing, you know, that nothing else could have taught me, mm -hmm. but for the suffering that I went through that brought me to my knees and helped me learn about myself. Yeah. I love That's that. So true. Well, thank you so much again for coming on and sharing your knowledge and experience and your insights with us today. We really appreciate your time. And where can people find you? Yeah, I was just going to say, I wanted to share for years, I've had the problem with not having enough time to work with the folks that are interested in working with me. And so I just recently have problem solved uh, thanks to COVID and my becoming more tech savvy. And I just launched an online group community setting where every single week I work with individuals on spiritual and psychological development. And it just was launched a month ago. It's exhaustedgen.com. So far, it's been amazing. Every week I do individual coaching that the community members watch. I do master classes, question answers, and it's just an extension of kind of what we've been doing today, you guys. So I hope that you guys will 
send people my way. And those of you out there listening, come check me out. And I'm also on Instagram at Valerie Hammaker Therapy. And my podcast is Generation Exhausted. Awesome. Thank you. We'll make sure we put those in the show notes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, if you would like to enroll in an online therapist-led support group. We'll see you next time.